I'm ready. All right. Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, Tammy Saunders. Uh, Tammy is a high school life coach, which was a a new job title for me. I didn't know those things existed. And uh, she educated me on that, which is really cool. And a CrossFit coach hailing from the Midwest. So today we get to collect her life story, which is really, really cool from what I've been able to gather from her just in the short period of time that we've spoken together. I know that you guys are going to pull a lot of nuggets from her life story today. So Tammy, appreciate you being on. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It was, uh, it was really interesting to talk to you that first time on the phone. I felt like we had a good connection and we started, you know, sort of vibing around the same vocabulary words, which is always interesting. And the energy that I received after we got off the call was, was great, which is always nice. So I appreciate that. And, um, I'm excited to, to hear more about your story today. I know you've obviously had a great transformation story that came, you know, um, recently in your life, but leading up to that point, I was hoping maybe we could start at the beginning of your young life and start giving us a little color around what it was like and what shaped you. So tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're originally from and what life was like growing up for you. Okay, sure. I would love to. Um, So like I have told you, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from a small town. It's called Dubuque, Iowa. Um, It's right on the Mississippi River. Pretty small. Um, When I grew up, it was pretty much, um, it was like many Midwest towns. Um, My parents, when I was real young, worked in factory, um, were like a manufacturing town. Mm -hmm. So like John Deere, um, like just manufacturing kinds of things, factories. Um, they both had pretty decent jobs. Um, and then my dad decided he wanted a second income. Um, and so very young, our life kind of shifted. Um, and, uh, he started, um, dealing drugs, um, out of our home. Uh, we lived in a middle class ish neighborhood. So there were, um, you know, like lots of different people in our neighborhood, but specifically a lot of cops lived in our neighborhood. Right. Um, he was pretty smart at first. So he dealt to like them. Um, eventually he was arrested and went to prison. And that's kind of when our life really shifted. So um, we so, went from, so quick, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So just a, a little bit of curiosity around that. So you're, you, you, know, yeah. you said your father had, you know, this idea that he wanted to make some extra money. It was a pretty sharp yeah. left turn from, factory worker to, you know, selling drugs on the side. I mean, <laughs> what do you think, uh, or what prompted that in his head? Do you think? Um, I think that he saw it was an easier way to make money. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to, you know, the factory was good money. It was decent money. Um, it provided for his family, but it was, you know, it was nine to five right. and it was hard work. And I think that he saw, um, you know, like many of my students I work with today, they, they, they grow up in that, that household of um, that get news mentality. Many of their parents are addicts. And so if that's the lifestyle that you're living in, it just becomes like that. I think that's the natural progression. Sure. Um, I think it was easier for him to do that. Mm. If that makes sense. Like it's like less physical labor. It, it was less labor intensive. For sure. For sure. I mean, it makes total sense. I think a lot of times though, when, when I hear someone from maybe a more rural area talk about, you know, drugs and that sort of thing, you know, the tendency yeah. I think most people have is to think that, oh, well, it's just an inner city issue and it, you know, it doesn't really happen where I live oh, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. 
but you said your father took this sharp left turn and all of a sudden he was dealing to like, you know, middle-class type people and cops and that sort of thing. So, you know, dive down that rabbit hole a little bit. It um, it was, so it's really weird when I talk about my, like my childhood, I, it's almost like I'm watching a movie, but it's not a movie, if that makes sense, because it seems so surreal. Right. Like people don't live that kind of a life. Um, So, you know, where my kid, my, my friends, when, when I was that age, you know, they're playing outside in the summer because it's nice out and they want to ride their bikes. My dad was doing business from our house. So our playtime outside was because like, you know, when dad had friends over, we weren't allowed to go in the house. And I guess that was his, you know, that was like his way of keeping us, I guess, at arm's distance from what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, none of that, like, and, and at the time I didn't know, I, I, you know, I truly didn't know until I was much older what had actually transpired. I just knew that like these certain events would happen. And then he was no longer in our home and wow. then saying, you know, we couldn't, um, and that was like a whole series of things. Like my mom was like, it, it was like a mini series. It was like a movie of the week. I'm not kidding. It was like craziness. And, and, but it was our life. And then it was like everything led up till that event, till he was no longer with us. You're talking and about my him mom, being arrested at this point? He was incarcerated. Yeah. He yeah. was sent away to federal prison and for, for long, long, long periods of time. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and again, when I talk about it now, it's almost, I, I feel like I'm almost like emotionless, but I'm not. Um, I think I've just, that's been my life for so long. It just, that has become my normal, mm-hmm. which is kind of still trippy to me when I think about it. Cause like I said, I talk about it as though it's completely normal, but then when I take a step back, I'm like, this is completely not how other people live. Yeah, for sure. But like I, that's not their life experience. Right. Now, how old were you when this was happening? It, so I was in second grade um, and I don't, you know, I don't remember my dad like doing things in front of us kids, but he was, he was not a kind person. Um, he, he was physically abusive to my mom. Um, my mom kind of just did her best to hold it together. Um, mm-hmm. She always kind of pacified him and, and kind of tried to smooth things over Um So something that I learned, I guess, early on in my life is survival and whatever you have to do to get through today is what we're going to do to get through today. And I don't know if that was like a conscious thing or if that was just like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's just kind of what you, you learn in that environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, and you would probably know this better than me, but it seems like, you know, when you're growing up, you know, especially at those, those tender ages, I mean, second grade, that's like what, eight years old, something like that. Yeah, you know, you're you're yeah. in the, you're in that place where you need security and stability, and if it's not in your environment, then mm-hmm. you adopt you begin to adopt behavior patterns that create it for you in some way, shape, or form. Whether yeah. it's being aloof yeah. or you know withdrawing or whatever the thing is, it's not always healthy, but you you you, you have to create it. Right. Uh, so, and it, and it's bizarre when I look. I I said this to you before we you know we jumped on here. When you asked me if I would share like my my journey, my, you know, my little two cents of the world, I I really became self-reflective this week and kind of started looking at bits and pieces of my life. And it's like these chunks of time that fit together, but almost like a movie that doesn't quite fit. Like I can't really follow the storyline because I feel like I'm so many different people in each of the, like the the little chunks. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's trippy, actually. It's really weird when you kind of reflect on your whole life. And I'm old, like I'm 51, so I have lots <laughs> of life to reflect on. So I'm yeah. like, dang, I was like 
you know, that's like 40 some years ago when I was eight years old. And um, when I think about, so when I think about like him, him and my mom, and I have a, a brother who is six years younger than me. So he was like maybe one at the time. My older sister is two years older than me. And it, you know, here's all these really crazy things happening. And, and then there's us like just kind of in the mix. Like it, 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 it kind of got emotional for me this week when I'm like, it just hit me like how much shit I've been through that I like kind of dismiss as, well, that's not really that big of a deal. But when I look back, I'm like, holy shit, that's a big fucking deal. Like that's a lot for someone to like trust us. Sorry. I don't know if I can swear on your thing, yeah. but I did. I'm be sorry. You. I hope be you bleep me out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Be you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> swear all, all right. you want. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, so, that's so not, yeah. So, you know, no, I, go was, ahead. I was just going to say like, you know, I mean, so, I, I feel like sometimes we get caught up in this place where, you know, we start living life and life begins to happen or we begin to happen to life, you know, however you want to look at that. Mm-hmm. And then we, we wake up years later and realize, oh, you know what? A lot of things happen that I haven't really put much thought into, you know, and um, listening, right. to, listening to you talk about that and the different scenes that you were reflecting on, it, it sort of sounded like, oh man, you know, it's like now I, I have an opportunity to look back and actually, you know, mine some lessons or gain some perspective from all those different experiences. Yes. And I think that when, you know, whatever trauma you go through and, and we all have our stuff, you know, we all bring this baggage with us, you know, and some is, it's just different, like not better or worse or bigger or smaller. It's just our traumas, our trauma, mm-hmm. um, that those things that happen to us. And I think that when either we're not allowed to, or we don't know how to process them or no one does like walks us through them or, you know, gives us that time and space to like you know, a lot of stuff back then happened. And I don't think we, we got to grieve the loss of like our dad being removed from our home. And even though he was a really shitty guy, like he, I mean, I, I say that. And, and part of me is like, Oh, he did the best he could with what he had, you know, what he, with what he had, but, um, he did not make good choices. He, He made really shitty choices as a dad and as a husband. Um, and, and, and we, no one, you know, like we, there was no talking about that. There was just like this, you know, huge traumatic event. He was gone, bad things happened. And then it was almost like end scene. And then the, you know, like then the new scene starts and yeah. now we're just going to live with my mom and life had changed. So the house and the cars and everything that we had up until then, they took because he, those were like, that was all about with like, that was like they drug money. Right. So. Right. We, you know what I mean? Like that was all part of that. And so they, they confiscated a lot of stuff and like my mom filed bankruptcy. I mean, like probably the first time for, I don't know, she, she did that a lot. Like what is it every seven years you can, I think it was like clockwork. Her lawyer just like filed for, um, (laughs) (laughs) like not, it's pretty messed up. Um, so yeah, so there she was, um, she barely had a high school education. I don't think that, I think she only went to school until like the eighth or ninth or like the ninth or 10th grade. Mm -hmm. Um, never graduated, like hardest working woman I know, smarter than like anyone, but like never went to school really, uh, with three kids and kind of like just there. Yeah. Um, well, do you, do you remember? So that? Yeah. Like, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, do you remember, like you talk about the, the, your father and you talk about how he's there one minute and gone the next, but I'm just wondering, yeah. do you remember the details around that day that he was suddenly not there? Do you know, do you remember that scene, um, if you will. 
it, so I don't remember him being like removed from our home then. I think um, my mom tried her, like I said, she tried her best to like keep us from all of that, mm-hmm. um, cleaning up messes. And Tom, that was my dad's name, Tom. And like, you know, Tom would be really explosive and angry and um, break things and be physical with her. And, you know, she was always trying to make it like, well, minimize, you know, it wasn't that bad. Mm. And so I believe what happened is my mom ended up turning state's evidence. They actually like got her to record some phone calls to arrest him. Basically they said, you're going to cooperate or we're taking your kids. And so she did whatever, you know, like she, whatever they asked her to do, she did. And I think that it was like, he kind of knew like it's over, like you're caught. And I think they, they gave him maybe the opportunity to turn himself. And I don't remember that happening like at our home. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I remember he was just gone. Right. And I think I only knew that he went to jail because somebody at our school, like Dubuque is a really small town. And so like that was in the paper the next day. And it was like, he was arrested under like the, the, the RICO act. And that was newly enacted law back then. And it was like crazy. So it was like, in the Chicago Tribune, it was in the Dubuque paper. He and his, he and my uncles were trafficking from Dubuque, like through Florida, through, like to, through Chicago to Florida. Wow. So it was like a big thing. Yeah, that's like, a huge like, thing. It wasn't like, you know what I mean? He wasn't just selling weed on the corner. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, and, the whole Rico oh, thing is, uh, that's the law that allows yeah. them to come after all your assets too, right? Like, you know, you that's said why, yeah. they took your cars or whatever, and you so, know, whatever possessions you had. Yes. Yes. So, you know, even though that like scene didn't take place at our house, I I just remember like, there was kind of a buzz at the school. And I remember people like, I remember people talking, kids, parents, Mm -hmm. I couldn't go to certain kids house anymore. Like we were not invited over to play anymore. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And you know, it was, and I think I knew, but like no one talked about it. Like it wasn't a conversation. I remember going to visit him maybe once or twice. He was in um, like outside of Chicago in Joliet and he, my mom took my sister and brother and I, like, I remember we had like an old station wagon and like, she took us, it was like, like the family vacation, but it was like to go see your dad in prison. And <laughs> it was wrong. And like, it's like, I can laugh. I, I can't, it's not funny, but it's funny. Cause it's like something that would happen in a movie. Totally. Um, totally. So yeah. So I was like, no, no, say, didn't I see this in I, an episode of Ozarks or something like that? <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what I feel like. So I'm watching, like, I am so not um, Netflix and Hulu. Like, I I just recently at Christmas time discovered that that whole thing, like my kids have been trying to turn me onto it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, started watching Shameless. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I can relate to so much of that movie. That's such a great, that's such a great show. Oh, man. Right. And I'm like, none of that seems really weird. So I'm like, that seems kind of normal. Like that, (laughs) that could happen. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what it says about my life. Yeah. Um, and it's taking place in Chicago yeah, so, too, right? It's a little, it's a little on the nose right. for you, I think. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we would go, I, I think we went two or three times that I remember like going to see him and I had, so my brother and I um, were talking one time and he said that his first memory, cause he was young, he was like one when this happened, like not even two, maybe one and a half mm-hmm. um, that his first memory of our dad was in prison. He's like, Tammy, that's the first time I remember seeing dad was like when, when he was in jail, like when we went to visit him. That's amazing. Which is insane to me. Yeah, it's incredible. Because I had, you know, as messed up as our life was before all that, I at least had those memories of him. I had something like, you know, I had a reference point of who he was and like 
saw him interact with my mom and, you know, it wasn't like he was, you know, horrific all the time. There were moments of kindness and, and I saw like, there were moments of tenderness and there was moments of connection. And I think that they on their own were just such messed up people um, that, that, that nothing healthy was probably going to come out of it. If that makes sense. Looking back now, I'm like, they, they were both just like not healthy on their own. Right. Right. And then, you know what I mean? Like they had like their own vices and like addictions and like, you know, like they just had that mental health issues, like both sides of my family, horrific mental health issues and not treated and self-medicated. And so when I look objectively back, I, you know, can say that this is what happened. You know what I mean? They weren't healthy people, bad things happened. And it really is unfortunate, but because I'm a product of that and I lived through it, I'm like, that was just some fucked up shit. Yeah, like, totally. It is up. some fucked up shit. No doubt um, about it. So it is. Yeah, it's man, it's crazy. crazy. But like uh, at the same time, you, at the same time, you know, like when you're talking about this point in your life and you're talking about how no one is sort of explaining the situation to you, right? Like you're kind of left in the dark. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what's your what's your mom saying or not saying to you at this point? Like, I mean, if you're suddenly not being invited to friends houses and, you know, this is being covered by the news, you know, like you would think yeah. that at some point she would pull you aside and say something. But you're saying that never happened. No. And I, I think that, you know, I, I would imagine because I know my mom, she, you know, probably tried again to minimize it. She probably tried to say, you know, oh, they, you know, don't worry about, you know, you'll make other friends. Don't worry about it. Um, and really, you know, I would like to think that as, you know, I'm a mom, I have grown kids now and my kids lived through their own kind of turmoil with, you know, when I was married, it was not like it, you know, we repeat, we repeat shit. We don't know until we know it. Right. And at that point, I just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I like it wasn't as bad as what I grew up with, but it, it certainly wasn't, you know, a walk in the park for my kids at times. But I, but what I always tried to do with them is like have those conversations and, and reassure them and be open to answer questions and um, be as transparent with them as I could mm-hmm. so that because I remembered how scary it was to just not know stuff mm-hmm. to like, just, try to like figure out it on, you know, figure it out on, on our own. Um, my mom, as crazy as this is, loved my dad till the day he died. I mean, the, and, and it never made sense to me until I became for a brief time. I worked as um, an advocate for victims of domestic violence. And I worked, I was a one-on-one. Um, I did like counseling sessions with them. I did like I'd go to the police station and help them file reports. I did hospital calls when they ended up in the hospital. I, you know, did um, safety plans and all of that kind of thing. Um, prevention plans, did a lot of speaking in schools. And it wasn't until I did that work that I was like, oh my God, I get it. Mm. Okay. I get why you did what you did. Like I, like it, it made sense to me. And um, why is that? What did you take away from that experience? So I think that, um, she, you know, he loved her, for lack of a better word, the way her father loved her. Because mm-hmm. my grandpa was just like kind of a jerky kind of a guy too. So like my mom's whole life was um, abuse and substance abuse. And like there was always like a mental health stuff, like always that turmoil trauma stuff. And so I think that, um, I think on one hand, my dad, because he was like kind of a bad boy, like he had a good job, but he was kind of a bad boy. Um, that was very attractive to her. Um, I think he was a better alternative to the house she was living in, um, like than her parents. Uh, 
the like cycle of abuse, it is, it doesn't make sense to people who aren't in it, but I feel like it was safer for my mom to stay than it was for her to leave. And I don't know why, but I believe that at some point, um, my dad made it, it, it very clear that like it was safer for her to stay, if that makes sense. I think so. I mean, I, my parents were both from, you know, abusive households and, you know, so they came together and they yeah. had a fraction of the tools that they needed. Right. And it's like you say, you know, yeah, you love them because, you know, they did the best that they could with what they had. You know, you right, see, the, you right. see them as a child, right? You, I, I see my dad as a, as a child. I see my mom as a child and I see what they right. experienced, right. you know, when they would come at me sideways. But then when I was growing up, I didn't understand that at all. You know, I just thought that, yeah, you know, they were crazy. <laughs> Why are you two people yeah, together? I, did. Right? I thought my mom was a lunatic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Still, like this woman is crazy. Right. But if you compare what, like, if I look at it now and I compare the environment that my parents created versus the environments that they came from, then the level of security and the level yeah. of safety was off the charts better. Like just no two ways about it. Yeah. You know, and my mom, you know, I, I, I have to believe that, you know, things happen for a reason. And because my mom didn't know how to leave him or you know at some point sometimes when you're a survivor of that like you're like like you are just that you're just in survival mode like um and and I think that my mom had you know lots of her own um like self-esteem issues and I think she really just wanted him to love her and I think that she just wanted like you know so what I gather from my mom this is and and I for a long time was like my mom if I only did this this and this better or good enough, or if I was prettier or skinnier, or if I was this enoughness, then he wouldn't do those things. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. It does. And so, right. And so it wasn't until I started feeling those things on my, uh, in my own self and in my own relationships that I was like, Oh wow, she wasn't as crazy as I thought she was. Like I, I I get it. Um, There's nothing more intoxicating than having the approval of someone you care about. Right. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, he, so he went to jail and she, she worked three jobs and I was telling you, um, we, we moved a lot. And I remember telling somebody one time, I was like, yeah, I moved like 14 times from the time I was in second grade until I graduated high school. And they're like, was your dad in the military? And I was like, no, (laughs) he was in jail. And they just looked at me like, and, and I didn't like, I just was honest. I was like, no, like, the criminal. I'm sorry. No. Um, and, and we would live places pretty much long enough until like my mom was behind enough on rent until they could evict her. Um, and it wasn't because, you know, she was, she was lazy or she didn't work. She worked her ass off. She just was not very educated mm-hmm. at that point, very smart, but didn't have like degrees. And so she worked in, you know, like food and beverage. She was a server. She worked, um, she cooked in a restaurant, she managed restaurants. And so, she worked two and three jobs, but, um, it just wasn't enough. Right. And so we would get evicted often. Mm-hmm. Um, she also was uh, like, for most of my childhood, she was like a, like a full blown alcoholic. She was functioning. And my friends who had met her had no idea the amount that she drank. So when you say full blown alcoholic, drank, I, like, you know, what does that look like? What- I mean, like, so my mom was a beer drinker. She loves beer um, until she got much older. And then she started drinking like vodka and things like that. But 
she, so what I remember, she never had a cup. We never had coffee in our house, but she would wake up and drink a six pack before she went to work. My mom's not a big lady. She was like, I don't know, five, three, a hundred pounds. She's like a little thing. I, I drank two beers. I'm like kind of tipsy. Like, I'm like, I, I like, I got a good buzz going. Yeah. Um, she, she had, she, she was, so when I say like full blown, like if she were to, she went to treatment many, many times. She went to treatment so many times that like our hospital knew her. There were very few places she could go anymore because she had already done their programs. Um, she would stay sober for small amounts of time. Um, I want to say the, the longest amount of time she was sober was when I graduated from high school. Um, I moved immediately. Like I had a plan that when I graduated within one week, I was out of Dubuque, Iowa, and I was on the East coast because I was getting as far away from my fucking family as I could <laughs> because they were insane. Like these people are off the fucking rails and I have to get out of here. Um, my dad by this time was out of prison back in town, still doing drugs, still selling drugs. Um, and it, I, I just knew I had to get away from it, even though they weren't together, even though I was, you know, like I was grown. Um, so I was leaving and my mom had, who had been in and out of treatment, uh, like I'm, I'm telling you, I could show up at the house and know by my aunt's, if my aunt's car was at our house, anytime they were taking my mom to treatment. Mm. Like I just knew that. Yeah. Um, and then we'd go and live with my aunt and uncle. And so anyway, when I graduated and I moved away, my sister said to my mom, if you don't get sober, I'm taking my brother, Tim, I'm taking him and you'll never see him again. Cause I'm not doing this shit anymore. And so my mom went to treatment and she got sober and she stayed sober for like 10 years. And that was like the most wonderful, amazing 10 years I had ever experienced with my mom, mm -hmm. like hands down. That's amazing. So hey so you so you did yeah, have some some time with her that was oh yeah unclouded i guess you'd yeah. say by some of these things yeah and it was it was amazing to see her because when i got to see her in like her her like natural state like sober and um you know like she was very active in like aa and not naaa um she you know she sponsored a lot of people and she had a she had an amazing story like she had a story to tell and it was compelling and it was from the heart and it was honest. And she didn't, you know, she owned all of it, even like the ugly shit. And mm -hmm. it was amazing to see her like that because she was respected and revered and, and people really um, got a lot out of her story. Yeah. Like she was able, you know, she did a lot of good with what, you know, I, I mean, some good came out of her story, which, which is awesome. So. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, it so sounds that, is like, like that time, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like almost as if, she gave you a reason to be proud of her at that point or something along that line. Yeah, it, it, for sure. And I, I think it was the first time, you know, and by this time I was in my you know early twenties, I was pregnant. Well, so she I probably from when I was maybe 18 to 28 or 30. So it might've been longer than 10 years, but like, you know, like my, my, my full twenties and a little into my thirties. Um, like when I had both of my children and I got married, um, and my niece and nephew were born, she was sober and it was awesome because, and, and I was an adult ish, like I was kind of an adult. And so, you know what I mean? Ish, like I yeah. thought I was an adult ish, yeah. right? Most adults um, think they're an adult, right? And, but they're not. Right. Um, yeah. and it was great because I finally, 
So in spite of all of this and, and through all of this, my mom, you know, until she passed away, she remained my best friend. Mm-hmm. Like she, she was my confidant. She was my go-to. I didn't get her misplaced loyalty to my dad. I never understood it. But at some point I was like, okay, I just have to let her be her. Like I have to let her have that. And it's not for me to understand. Right. That's her gig. That's her deal. Um, she would never let me say anything bad about him in front of my brother. She wanted him to have his own relationship with him. Like she, she really honored that. And I, I actually respect that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, that wasn't for me to, you know, that was, that was his own thing and he deserved that. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool to see my mom as an adult, as an adult and have adult conversations. And she got to see me, you know, be pregnant and, and be a new, new mom and get married and, you know, like I, I had her there for that, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, that was, you know, that was some good that came of it. I mean, I, I don't think that ultimatums with addicts and alcoholics always work, but that one did. Like she could have totally called my sister's bluff and my sister would have ended up raising my brother. Right. But so, yeah. That's amazing. So that was early Tammy. That's that, amazing. Like, so, right. Like chaos, turmoil. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, and I'm that, just it, thinking, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just thinking, you know, of, um, you know, of young life coming through, you know, these circumstances. And I'm just wondering if you've thought about some of the behaviors or some of the patterns that you picked up to protect yourself or some of the beliefs that you took on about yourself during this time period when you, you know, you see your father um, no longer in the home, your mom's struggling, you know, you're moving all, all yeah. over the place, you know, you're not making bills or not making rent or whatever the thing is. I'm sure people around town yeah. know, cause I grew up in a small town. I know what that's like. Yeah. And everybody knows your business, yeah. you know? So yeah. how, how yeah. do these things impact you as an individual? Like what's your sense of self like at this point in your life? Mm. Um, well, oh, that's a really good question. You know, I was a really funny kid. Um, I, I think I'm still kind of funny. Like I use humor in a lot of situations. I was a kid, like when we would get in trouble and we'd like get a spanking or something from my mom, which it was funny cause she couldn't really spank hard, but she thought it was a punishment, <laughs> but, and it, and I would get nervous. Like when I get nervous, I'll start to, I would start to laugh and not because I thought it was funny, but, but just because that was my coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like, so I always used a sense of humor. Like if I made a joke about it before someone else could make a joke about it, then it was okay. Um, so I think I developed this like kind of like bitey, angry, sarcastic humor mm-hmm. that um, that people found humorous, but it was also like my way to deflect. Like I would laugh about it instead of crying about it. Um, I always saw like, like I never wanted people to think I was weak or or that it had gotten the best of me. So I feel like my coping coping mechanism was. Um, to act like I was a real badass, even when I wasn't like right. if like people who knew, like people. Okay. So I'm, I'm a redhead and, and we always get that crazy redhead thing. And so I kind of had that and I was a really good shit talker. And so I would be kind of loud and like shit talky. So people would not mess with me. Right. Um, I was very defensive. I was really reactionary. Um, I feel like I navigated life truly until sad truly until about my 40s until like waiting for the other shoe to drop Mm. anytime something got comfortable or where i'm like 
that moment where you're like, okay, I can finally kind of breathe. I, I in, there was something in me that was like, but, but, but just wait, cause something's coming. Yeah. Like I never felt a sense of peace. Yeah. I never felt that. You never had that, right? You don't know how that feels. Yeah. I mean, you can't move 14 times in high school or whatever and no, <laughs> and think everything's no. going to be stable from here on out, right? Right. And I think so, you know, and then when you grow up with, with addicts and alcoholics and like that get and use mentality, and then when you're like, you're poor, it's a hustle. Like life is, is a hustle. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you learn. You learn to hustle. And yeah. so, um, all of my, myself and both my siblings have had our fair, you know, like I used at a young age. I don't know why I didn't become a drug addict because statistically I should not be doing what I'm doing, nor should my brother or my sister. Do you know what I mean? Like, you mean in terms of work? If if I looked at the data, I should be like an addict or alcoholic or incarcerated or dead. Oh, right. For sure. Yeah. Like I, do you know what I mean? Like if, if you just look at like my ACEs score, I don't know if like that, those adverse conditions that affect early development. Um, no, what is they, that? Be, like question thing. I'm not familiar like with that? that. What is that? Okay. So I'm sorry. I say that like everyone knows that. So ACEs is like, there's these like indicators of like early childhood trauma and then the effect it has on you as an adult. And so depending on which one you look at, you can look it up when we're done, like take a look at it. Cause it's, it's actually pretty cool. Um, so there's like indicators of like social, emotional, like things. And let's say if you, um, things that it might say is like, uh, one or both of your parents, um, were heavy drinkers, one or both of, or like your parents were divorced. You, um, one of them had a mental illness, um, physical abuse, um, like, uh, addiction. Like there's like things that would happen in your childhood, like adverse things that affect your development. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. So the higher you score on this test or a quiz like this thing, then the more likely it is that that is going to affect your schooling, how you interact with people, how you build relationships, how you in, like, just how you perceive yourself in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, my family scores off the chart. Like <laughs> we, we have all of them. I think we have all of them that are on there except for maybe one. <laughs> Uh, I know it's insane. You're, over, you're and, overachievers and yet, on this test, aren't you? Uh, yeah, we are. Like we, we got an A on that test. Like, Definitely. We sure did. Um, so like when I look at my brothers and at my brother and sister, my, my brother, um, my brother for a long time was, um, he was an addict. He did not live the life he's living today. He did, you know, he, he, he was, he was in a really bad place for a really long time, really, really long time. Um, my sister was an addict. She dated an addict. She, you know, like I kind of dabbled for a while. I drank for a while and I don't know what it was, but I think that I was just like, I, there was at some point I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You are going to be them. Like everything you don't want to be, you are going to be them. And so. At some point, my mom was sober and it was New Year's Eve and I had, I lived on the East Coast and I came home for like a long weekend and or whatever vacation, a Christmas vacation. And I was just like drunk and high probably the entire time. Like I would come home to sleep and eat and she would look at me disapprovingly and I would be like, whatever, lady, like you didn't do this shit. Right. And 
I remember one morning I, she was there, it was like New Year's Eve. And she was like, Tammy, Ann, what are you doing to yourself? And it was the way she said it and the tone of her voice that I was like, huh, maybe she's right. <laughs> I like this isn't a good thing. Um, and so I decided that I was going to like do like a new year's resolution. I'm not going to drink for 30 days. And I didn't. And then it ended up being like five years. I just didn't drink or use anything. I was just like, let's just see how long we can keep this rolling. I'm feeling pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a daughter. I got pregnant and had a baby. And I swear the moment that she came out, I was just like, I'm not doing this shit anymore. Like I did, you know what I mean? Like I hadn't been, but it was like that clarification that I needed. Like you say, she saved my life. She mm-hmm. saved me from myself. Right. Because I, I feel like at some point I would have kind of unraveled. Right. I've heard people say that yeah. about, um, you know, having children or bringing, bringing life into the world. Why do you think that is? Yeah. You know, what, what was the, I, you know, what is it about that I that sort of caused you to wake up? I, I think that I felt the sense of responsibility to somebody other than myself that I never had. Um, when, when I was growing up, my sister's a few years older than me, but she moved out of our home when she was probably, I, I want to say 16 or 17. She moved in with like a friend and her boyfriend. Um, and my mom didn't want her to, but it, it was odd. So like when we got jobs, when we were in high school, we didn't get jobs to like, you know, save up for a car or like go to prom, excuse me, we got jobs to like help pay rent or to pay the electric bill. Mm -hmm. So I think it was hard for her. Like when my mom would give her a curfew and she's like, I pay rent. So no, you don't get to give me a curfew. That's not not how we're doing things. That's a very unconventional childhood. Um, And what's really weird though, is I still went to school every day. I still got fairly good grades. I was in theater. I was in speech. I'm a thespian. I like did like these normally mainstream things and people at school had no idea. You know what I mean? Like they had no idea. Like what is crazy. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, um, but like, so when my daughter was born, I think, so I I did take care of my brother. Like he's like, he, I kind of was like his like caretaker when my mom was working a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that my daughter was this, I felt this sense of responsibility of, I owed it to her to, give her something that I didn't have. So it's almost and like she gave you a purpose then. She, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. I felt like I finally had a purpose mm. that it mattered that, um, that I mattered yeah. to someone. Right. Right. Yeah. I can but see yeah. that. I can see yeah. it from that perspective for sure. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, nothing to be sorry for. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it's interesting, you know, we talk about purpose, we talk about, uh, you know, people finding a path or finding a direction or finding, mm-hmm. a, you know, their own journey or what have you, and it always revolves around purpose, you know, and it, it's interesting that yeah. for for you, it was the birth of your daughter and wanting, you know, wanting her to have something else, something better, something more, and realizing that that's not going to happen if you continued, you know, using it, to use your words, right? So yeah. Uh, I think that uh, it's one of those things that people don't really spend enough time thinking about, especially early in life. And, you know, and and how can you if you're spending your life around people who don't have a purpose themselves or if they're numbed out and not really feeling what's going on, you don't develop the right coping mechanisms. And the next thing you know, you're just Uh 
in survival mode, like you said. You should, I get a job to pay the right. bills, you know. <laughs> you know, right. I, I just get a job to get by, whatever the thing is, and that's just not what right. life. That's not what an expanded life looks like at the end of the day. Right. And I, you know, often in the work I do now at school, and I I have conversations with adults um, about students who you know who who are living like I was living, who who are being you know who are being raised in that kind of environment, and and I always. Ha- try my best to be very mindful, um, to be very respectful that, that those parents are doing the best they can with what they have, mm-hmm. that I don't know their story. Um, and with those kids. So, you know, I think a lot of the, the adults in their life at school don't understand like why some of the stuff, some of the, the things at school just aren't that important. You know what I mean? Like right. who cares if I have my hood up, if I don't know if we're going to eat tonight, right? Like that's not, that's not even on my radar of things I give a shit about. Exactly. Um, and you know what I mean? Or we think, well, well, somebody should be telling them that, but, but what happens when no one is telling them that? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's when a no huge one is thing. Having, yeah, it's yeah. huge. I mean, I think uh, um, I, you know, when I was in college, I was studying, I have a degree in uh, mathematics education, right? So I was going to go, I was going to go down the teaching route. And at that point in time, and this was the nineties, early nineties, they had started talking to us a lot about, you know, how we should treat certain types of kids. And so I did a practicum in an inner city school and all the rest of it. And I had zero compassion. You know, I was like, I had zero compassion before because I didn't understand Mm -hmm. what you have said a couple of times, which is understanding that people are doing the best they can with what they have. I never saw it that way. I saw, I saw Mm -hmm. people who had quit. I saw people who had given up, but the reality of it is, is those are the results of how they're thinking and the, and the way that they're thinking is right. the result of the life that they've lived and the things that they've been exposed to. So, you yep. know, having enough grace to realize that, you know, yeah, people are doing the best they can with what they have. That's a huge eye opener for me. And I, I think if more people could understand that, that they could see things the way that you're seeing things when you're talking to these kids, right? It's, it's such a, yeah. it, it's, it's such a little nuanced thing, but if you don't study it or if you don't, take the time to really delve deeper under the surface and understand what that means. It's really easy to say, well, no, they're right. not, you know, they're not, they're not even trying. Mm-hmm. And, and I think exactly what you said, that compassion piece and, and being empathetic to somebody else. And I think that so often you know, I, I hear, and I say it like, I'm not judging, but I'm judging. You know what I mean? Like we all have that. We all do that. Sure. We all place you know, our value system on something, whether we vocalize it or, or we don't. And I try, um, to be more mindful of that. I try to be mindful of you get to feel however you get to feel that, that I don't get to qualify that that's not for me. Like, I don't get to say your feelings are are right or wrong. Those Mm -hmm. are, they're your feelings. And I think, um, for, for me, I realized that I didn't have anyone like I said earlier, to have those conversations with about what was going on um, in my home or, or just with me, like, how do, how do, who, who can I talk to, to fill me up when that person that I'm supposed to love and trust and, and depend on for that, isn't there to do that. That's a, you know, that's um, such a great point and, because, you know, you had said earlier about your coping mechanism was that you kind of project this toughness and this humor, right? And, right. and in touching on that, you know, the, the, my, my next question would have been, or, or is really, how do you deal with that when you're all alone? Right. Cause these things are fine when you're in a crowd 
yeah. you know, and you're, you're putting up the jokes and you're putting up the front <laughs> and all the rest of it. And the reality is people can see through it. Right. So when you get home, right. you know, what do you say to yourself when you're actually faced with the fact that, you know what, I haven't really dealt with this thing or, or I'm feeling insecure or I'm feeling, you know, this, this weight of not being able to provide for yeah. myself, you know, how do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, what do you do at that point? Yeah. What did I, or what do they? Yeah. Well, it, is that I'm, like, wait, are you asking me what yeah, how I'm I did like, it? Or are you I'm, just saying in general? Like, yeah, I'm kind of drawing a parallel, right? Because yeah. you're, you're at a point yeah. now where you're dealing with kids who are dealing with some of the things that you dealt with. Right. And you're yeah. seeing them, I'm sure, you know, in mm-hmm. your, in your role as high school life coach, you're seeing them put things up as a, as a wall, as a defense, you know, as a, as a, you know, as a mechanism to protect themselves. Right. But you know that when they walk out of your office, what, if they Mm -hmm. were honest or dishonest with you, that they're still dealing with that behind the scenes. Right. And so I'm curious if, if the life that you lived gives you an insight on what they're experiencing when they're all alone and they're, they don't have to put up a front or be someone that they're not to protect themselves. I, I, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting when, when, when they finally trust me enough and then we can talk about like, so how do you deal with that? And like, what do you do? And then I might share with them. Like, so I I remember a period of about three months when I was in high school one time, it's not funny, but it's funny now. Cause, cause it just is to me, my mom, I I would come home from school. I would take a hot bath and I would go lay in my bed at like three o'clock in the afternoon. I don't remember being depressed. I don't remember being sad. I didn't cry in there and I didn't really sleep. I was just so exhausted that I was like, I just want to lay down in the dark. Mm. And I remember my mom just let me do that. And, and I, that was like literally how I coped for three months with like the chaos of everything outside, you know, that would, would go on. Yeah. Um, and so trying to, to, it, it's interesting in my office, I have a slam ball. So kind of like um, slam balls you'd use at the gym. I have like a five pound one. And kids come in really pissed and they're angry or they're anxious or they're whatever. And usually pissed is like that, that easy emotion. And they're not really pissed. They're like disappointed or hurt or, you know, whatever it is. And anger just masks that. Right. Cause it's easier to be pissed right. um, than to say, no, he hurt my feelings. Right. Um, but so I'll just have them come in and I'll be like, here, slam that, just do this. And I'll let them do that. Or writing my office always smells like lemongrass. So they like that. Um, my, my students have my cell phone number and I allow them to like, it's very rare that it happens. Um, but, um, reach out. Sometimes it just helps to have that person to be like, you know, Hey, are you going to be at school in the morning? Can I meet you first thing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Having yeah. that, even though most of them don't use it, knowing that they have someone to reach out to if shit gets really bad. Yeah. That's really, that's really amazing. You know, I think, um, one of the concepts that hit me hard when I first started in the personal development world about, you know, 15 years ago was this idea of experiencing something fully. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you can talk to this, let me just lay this out for you and you can tell me if, if it works or if, it, or if I'm totally full of shit. So like one of the things that I think a lot of people do myself included is we'll have something bug us, right? Like something, even something small, right? Something small will rub you the wrong way and you just kind of let it go. You don't, you don't really say anything about it and something else happens, but you're experiencing this disturbance, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You're experiencing Mm -hmm. this mild form of suffering as the Buddhists would say, right? So at the end of the day, you haven't dealt with it because it was a little thing. 
But then if something big mm-hmm. happens, okay, well now that warrants a response. And so you, you start to respond to it. You feel an emotion, you feel anger, you feel frustration, whatever that, mm-hmm. whatever that primary emotion is. Right. And then at the end of the day, you either experience that thing fully or you don't. And if you don't experience mm-hmm. it fully, you can never move forward. So the idea is that right. whatever you're feeling, like if you're feeling angry, cool, right? That's great. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel angry. But let's experience right. all of that anger and let's let it pass through yeah. the system so that we can get to that point of right. nothingness where we can create again. Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts on that? I agree with that. I think that so often we try to run from things that are uncomfortable and like bad or whatever label you want to put on it. Um, I know for a long time, I didn't want to deal with stuff. Like I didn't want to deal with hard things or ugly things or the, the, the shit from my childhood that made me really uncomfortable. Um, but what I found is until I was willing to sit in it and just, like you said, experience it, um, sitting in silence for me used to be very difficult. I was a chatter. I had to keep chatting because if it was too quiet, all I could hear was the, the nonsense in my brain. Um, I feel that is probably a, the biggest conversation I have with my students is you have to go through this stuff. You have to get okay with being uncomfortable and feeling mad and knowing that it's okay to feel that and it's going to pass. And why did it make you feel mad? And what are we going to do next time? How do we, how do we process that next time? Mm-hmm. When do I feel myself get like those pre, like those triggers? Like mm-hmm. I feel it coming on. Right. And then how, what do I do to like make it so it's not that bad this time? Right. But I fully agree with you, Jason. I think that if you don't, if you don't feel shit, it, it it's like when somebody leaves, uh, uh, when, when someone gets divorced or when somebody dies, like the grieving, the grieving process, it, it's not an event. You know, it's not like I grieve now I'm done. It's like, it's a process mm-hmm. and it just takes as long as it takes. And it's different, you know what I mean? Depending on the person, how close they were to you, how much you knew them or or whatever it might be. But I think that it just sucks until it doesn't suck anymore. And you just have to allow it to be sucky for a while. And I know that that probably sounds crazy, but it's the truth. Not at all. I I think those moments are, you know, where something very close uh, to home hits, right? Whether it's a relationship or a, yes. maybe you had a great job or something, you know, something, something traumatic happens, right. right? Whatever the thing is, it's taken from you. There's an injustice, there's a violation, whatever the thing yeah. is, right? And what happens if you don't, you, you know, if you hold on to what things were, right? That's the, that's the real question. Right. Like, if I hold on to the yeah. former relationship, even though I know mm-hmm. it has ended, how much pain is that going yeah. to cause me, right? Or if I hold on right. to the money I used to make at this great job that I had, but that I don't have anymore, you know, then how much pain is that going to cause me staying in that place, right? And then the question becomes, yeah. Yeah. do I plan on, this is what I always, I, I do in, in our household, in Christina and, and mine's house, we always like, you get upset, okay, my first question is, do you, do you intend on staying upset for the rest of your life? <laughs> and of course the answer <laughs> is no, right? Okay, well, then can we just experience this and skip to the end where you get happy again? Right? Like, it's like, I like that. It's gone. You know, you, you, the relationship's gone or the job is gone or the, right, you know, the piece of pie that you wanted to eat in the fridge is gone. It's like, okay, <laughs> you know what? It's gone. Are you going to stay mad right? forever? Okay, no. Well, then let's just skip to the part where you're right. happy again. <laughs> right. I do that too. I'll be like, and now what? Okay, you're pissed. And now what? Yeah. And so now what? what are we now what? Do? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And now what? 
And that is like my biggest thing that I, even like with my students or my athletes, like I can't get that. Okay. And now what are you going to do? Right. So, right. You're, you're right. You're not doing it. Now, what are we going to do? <laughs> That's um, right. You know what I mean? And so, or they have that defeated feeling. Like my students will be like, well, I'm having a really shitty day because blah, blah, blah happened. I'm like, okay. And you can still be at school and be productive. You can be in a bad place and still work hard. Absolutely. You can, you, there's that duality. You can, or, or more than two things. You can be many different things at once. Yeah. It's possible. Believe me. I come to work days, not really trying to be the life coach, like having my own stuff. And yet I can still perform my job. Totally. Like, you'd be amazed at what you can do. Totally. So, I, I, right. I try to press them. And I think that I, yeah, mine is like my go-to is, and now what? I might use yours though. Like, are you going to be like this for the rest <laughs> of your life? I might, I might steal yours. Uh, well, it's not mine. I'm, I'm sure I stole it from someone else. So feel free to steal away. <laughs> All, all, right. all the best ideas have already been thought of. So, no, that's, that's right. amazing. Right, they sure have. Yeah, that's amazing. I, it's it's really yeah. interesting that you are in this spot in a high school where you can, you know, have the title of life coach. I, I never even knew that was I a know. thing. Like when I was growing up, we had quote unquote counselors or whatever the thing was. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, and I we would, have those too. But they were generally not the type of person you would want to go to for counsel. <laughs> you know? Right. So I was like, okay, <laughs> right. well, like schedule changes. Yeah. Like what class do I take? Maybe. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I was always wondering so, where that counselor was from, you know, uh, what was that show? You got the football show with, uh, oh shoot. I forget the name. Oh, Friday Night Lights. Coach? No. Yeah. Friday Night Lights, the TV show. Lights? Yeah. With, uh, oh, with, yeah, yeah. with what's her face. I forget, but she was always like the counselor <laughs> that I wanted, you know, that, that I never knew existed, but it sounds yeah. like in your role, you actually have an opportunity to build relationship outside of, oh, well, you know, you need to change your third period. Okay. Fantastic. Yes. You know, kind of a thing. When did, when did this come will, about? Is this a kind of a relatively new yeah. thing or am I just totally ignorant? So I worked at the, so the high school I work at is a high school I graduated from and I didn't always, I worked in food and beverage for a really long time. Like I just did. I liked the cash. It was like cash every day worked. Um, and like I said, when you grow up in that hustler, get news mentality, that's what you do. I need, I want cash. That's, that's what we're doing. Sure. And then I took a job um, at the high school I worked at. My kids were there actually at the time. My son was a, a freshman and my daughter was a junior. And I was a paraeducator, like a teaching assistant in the classroom for a few years. And then they, um, they got this grant position of student engagement facilitator. And it was... Um, finding like coming up, creating initiatives within the school to build engagement, safety and supports, and really having like those grassroots conversations with students about like, what do you need to feel welcomed and safe and like engaged and present? And like, how do we, how do we make that? And really creating the climate and culture that we wanted, like very intentional, um, lots of different programs and initiatives that we, we developed. And then that job ended. I went and became a DV, a domestic violence advocate, um, did a lot of violence prevention work. And then this life coach role opened. And I didn't even know what it was. But the principal from, um, from it was at an alternative school. That when I first did it, uh, for the first two years I did it, I worked at um, a 10th and 11th grade credit recovery program. So our, our school system in town, we have two high schools. And then this alternative program. So it's 11th and 12th graders from the mainstream high schools who are credit deficit. So they can't graduate on time. So they come to our building to um, recover credits. Mm -hmm. And they had life coaches. Um, and these kids 
all came in with either like, you know, they truancy issues, they weren't attending, uh, maybe they had mental health issues, substance abuse issues, homelessness, trauma at home, pregnant, like all, whatever barriers they had, they needed somebody to help them navigate. Like, how do I help you do school when life is so difficult for you to even get here? Right. If that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. So, yeah. So this, this program is how it started in our district. There's about, there were about 150 kids in the program, ninth and 10th graders. And in this building, there's like our principal, a graduation coach, a counselor, and then myself, the, the life coach. And so it was really one of those, it takes a village kind of a place to raise it, you know, to get these kids where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. So my day really was building relationships with kids and like, okay, you're not here because you don't have a ride. I'll come and get you. Okay. You're not here because you're, you know, there's no um, electricity in your house. Let's find an outside resource of like, how do we, how do we get the electricity on in your house so that you can come to school? So really social worky kinds of stuff, but all relationship centered. And if these kids, man, if they don't trust you and if they don't feel like you get them, they're not, they're not connecting with you. Right. Like, they're not going to let you help them. Um, so I was in that school for two years and then the high school I'm in now, which was where my kids went, that principal had a full-time position open and he called and he's like, you know, our students, you know, our building, you have buy-in with faculty. I need somebody who will have tough conversations with kiddos and students or I mean, kiddos and adults and really like, let's start doing some hard work. And so this is my first year back in this school. Mm. Um, our district has, there's a full-time life coach in both the high schools and two of the middle schools and the alternative school have life coaches. That's fantastic. So yeah. It, yeah. So it's funded through at-risk dollars. Our district has written grants, written grants or wrote grants. I work for a school. I feel like I should know that. Um, anyway, grants have been written or wrote. What is it? It's going to drive me crazy. Thank you. It's going to drive me crazy. I'm going to have to look it up when I'm done. Anyway, (laughs) so funded through um, at-risk dollars. And so we really worked with, we worked pretty much with that marginalized population of kids who um, are either, for some reason or another, they are not connected in school. They're not um, finding success. A lot of social emotional barriers. A lot of kids who look like me, who had, you know, my kind of, upbringing um or you know a a variety of things for whatever reason life is it's hard life in these days for these kids and so i tell people i have the best job in the world because i get to sit around and have really great conversations with kids and find out um what makes them them um like be strategic about like how do we come up with a plan I get to make it individual. I don't have to do lesson plans. I truly get to sit down in those like organic conversations. Like, tell me what home looks like. Tell me what it looks like for you to get to school. How does that feel? What does it look like when you go home? Like, what does the weekend look like? You know, like, so I get to just have those really great conversations with kids. Right. So uh, I guess one question that comes up for me is, you know, in terms of, of working with the kids and that sort of thing, you know, obviously, you know, I don't expect you to, to mention any names or anything like that, but what would be sure. like a specific example of maybe a problem that you as a life coach have had to deal with or, or are actively dealing with helping someone with? So a, a good deal of the students that I, I work with now um, have a lot of anxiety, mental health issues, 
substance abuse issues um, themselves. Mm. Um, not, I mean, parents maybe as well. Um, but a lot of, so when we talked earlier about sitting in those moments where you're experiencing you know, something uncomfortable or some emotion that is like not particularly appealing to you, a lot of the kids, that that's a lot of it. Um, mm. They find themselves at times in the class, like a lot of times, a big chunk of them, like, I can't do this. They have, they start having a panic attack. And so they'll text me, I'm freaking out, got to fucking leave class. And I'm like, okay, we have a plan. The first step is this. Okay. Did you do that? Okay. Can you walk down to my office? Okay. Do I need to come and get you? And then one of those three things happen, coming to my room and talking about what it is. So, you know, just walking them through that panic attack and letting them know that it's okay to be uncomfortable and you're going to be okay. We're going to walk through this and I'm going to be here. And then, and we're going to get back to class. Some of them though are like, I'm not coming to school because mom's in jail again, Mm. or I'm not coming to school because, um, I got in a fight with mom's boyfriend and the police were called or we don't have food and I don't, you know, I don't, or I don't know what it's going to look like when I go home. Right. Like some of my kids have big stuff. Um, and so a, one thing I have to remember, like for me, when I do my job is like, I can't fix anybody. Mm-hmm. Like all I can do is like kind of hold that space for them to feel like I can at least set that down for a minute and have someone I can maybe kind of try to game plan with, like, how can we make this more manageable? Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of look at my job as damage control, like here's what's going on and, and like what, like triage it, like what, what is the first thing we have to do? Okay. You don't have food. Can I get you a referral to somewhere? Can I get you food? I always have food in my office, but I have healthy stuff. So sometimes the kids won't eat it. So then I have to find them granola bars, and like gummy bears or something. But, right. um, it, it is, you know, there's not, I have a lot of kids who, very similar to my situation. I want to say that I probably have five or six kids who, when we sit down, they'll be like, well, my dad's in jail and he was supposed to get out and they push back his date and it really pisses me off. And I'm like, yeah, that sucks. Well, what, what do you know about that? Well, you know, maybe a little something. And I don't, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily share all of my, like all of my story, mm-hmm. but having that commonality with them is a huge buy-in. Oh yeah. And sure. they at least know that, you know what I mean? When I say yeah. I get it, I get it. Yeah, you got street like, cred. I get that feeling. Instant street cred. I do. I, <laughs> I do. Um, and my my principal is he knows he knows enough of my story. Um, another piece to my story. So my uh, the I'm, I'm divorced, but my ex husband is African American. My kids are biracial in a very very white town. Um, I'll, not so much anymore, but when they were born, it was, it's becoming more diverse. And I mean, that's a relative term. Mm -hmm. Um, but so I work with, um, some of our young African-American students and a lot of times they come to our town from, you know, Chicago or from Milwaukee or from a bigger city. And their parents are like, we want a better way for them. We don't want to get them away from violence and poverty and whatever. Slower here, more laid back here. And they feel completely disconnected because the climate and culture they come from does not look like our building. Right. The way they are, you know what I mean? Like, so how they roll is not how we roll all the time. Sure. And so I find when they, when they realize that, which I, it's never like a spoken conversation, but I have pictures in my office of me and my children. They 
automatically will be like, you have black kids? I'm like, well, they're, they're black and white. Yes, I have biracial kids. And then automatically, I'm not that scary white person. Right, like right. then I have some buy-in. Um, but at least on some level, they're like, okay, she's going to like at least like not be like that with me. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It makes sense. It definitely does. I think. Uh, yeah. So I have, I have a little bit of street cred. No, for sure. I'm you not def- a typical debuker. You definitely, <laughs> definitely got some street cred. You probably know all the rap songs too. I do. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting yeah. that, um, that it comes to that. I think, uh, one of the things that I struggle with understanding nowadays, and, and maybe you can shed some light on this, or maybe I'm just totally ignorant is this focus on like who someone is based on some immutable yeah. characteristic that they hold, you know, like for example, if your kids are biracial or black or white or Hispanic or whatever, yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean that their experience was different, you know? Right. But by the same token, it doesn't mean that it wasn't. I think what happens a lot of mm-hmm. times is, you know, you see a skin tone or you, you make a snap judgment on something. And at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you're assigning your own racial profile to that person. So these kids are, they're doing that for you and, and in a way it's working, yeah. it's working in a positive way. So they say, oh, well, you know, maybe I'm a black kid and I see you've got biracial kids. So therefore right. we can identify. Well, I mean, why is there yeah. a barrier there in the first place? You know, why would you assume I that know. you couldn't if I was just regular old white guy or white girl or whatever? I, yeah, I don't, I don't, it's, it still baffles me sometimes how people, I, I, I don't, I don't know why it's like that. Um, but I do know that it's there and I do know that there are certain students that will respond better to someone if they feel, and it, and it doesn't have to be race. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be that doesn't have to be the common denominator, but if they feel on some level, like, do you get me? Right. Like, you're not just saying those words out of your mouth. Like I can tell somebody I'm not racist or I'm not sexist or I'm not whatever, but when they, when they, they can just see it if that makes sense when they just you know what i mean like i don't have to tell them i'm just showing them yeah for sure i I guess is what i'm saying um yeah no i hear you i had a a conversation with a friend of mine uh james here in town actually he's one of my podcast guests and we were talking about this whole identity politics thing you know and and his argument we were talking about comics talking about comic books and I was like, yeah, okay. man. I was like, Marvel totally screwed, screwed up. They fucked up their entire universe. They killed off all their white characters and replaced them with minority characters. <laughs> and he was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, didn't you know Wolverine's dead? Uh, Hulk is dead. And they replaced them with like female Wolverine and Chinese Hulk and like all these different characters. And I was like, I saw this mm-hmm. little, I saw this little black kid come into the uh, comic book shop the other day, and he wanted the, he wanted a Hulk comic. And uh, the comic book store owner, who was Filipino, had to tell the little black kid that, you know, that that Hulk is no longer alive. That Hulk's dead in that universe and that we have this Asian Hulk now. <laughs> and the kid was like, what? <laughs> I just want regular green <laughs> freaking Hulk. Just give me green Hulk, I man. I just want right? regular Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was like, he's like, I never thought about that. And then he said, I think what it is, is like you want as a minority, you want to see yourself in these different forms of media, which I totally get. Right. But I think there's also this aspect of like, if I don't see myself, like if I, if I'm, if I'm a white guy and I can't see myself in a black guy, then that in and of itself is racism. Like if I'm a black guy and I can't see my life in a, in a white guy, then that in and of itself is racism. Right. So I think racist racism is just really largely misunderstood, but teaching people that they can't be, 
you know, in relationship yes. or in community with someone who is not of the same skin is a racist act, right. I believe. Yeah. I, you know, it, so it, it does allow me to like have further conversations with some of those students and, and, and they might, they might have a conversation with me that they may not have a com that they may not with somebody else. Totally. And I, and I think that some of that here anyway, anywhere where I live is because they're, they are such a minority. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? So when they go somewhere, they might be the only black kid in a class of 30 people. Right. right. Um, and you just, so I feel like if it was in a different setting or if it was more like 50, 50, or, you know what I mean? I think that maybe that conversation might, or that, that might be a little different. Yeah. Um, I get it. I mean, I think it's it, like, it's like low yeah. hanging fruit, right? Like it's like, <laughs> if I go somewhere yeah, and I yeah. see someone else, you know, in the personal development world, it's like low hanging fruit. I can go talk to that person. Right. Or, yeah. you know, but I, I have to, we always want to find that person who looks like us. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Like if I, I see another do. white guy, I don't guy, know why we feel yeah. safer. Yeah, exactly. We, we do. We, we do. It's that safety thing. And not that, and it's perceived safety because that, that person might not be the safest person in the room. That person might be the worst person in the room for you. That's true. And, um, and, it, and that's true. And then from like the low hanging fruit perspective, it's like, okay, well, this person is white or black or Hispanic or whatever. Therefore yeah. we should have something in common. And it's almost, like, yeah. it's almost an excuse to skip creating a relationship with someone who doesn't look like you. you know? Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just thinking, talking out of my ass. I don't know, but no, no, I think that's cool. I, I, I look at it like that as well. Yeah. I could talk uh, this all day. Like I think, this, yeah, so, I, I think this is something that people should talk more about. Like there's really no difference among people and it comes right down to it. Everybody likes to eat, drink yeah. and be merry in the same way. <laughs> I, I agree. I think that, I think in general people, me, me included for a long time, I'm, I'm getting better at it. It's, it's, it's work some days, but having hard conversations, having conversations that I know I'm going to have to say something that either I don't want to say necessarily, or that I, uh, that I feel that that the other person may not be ready to receive. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's a subject matter. Maybe it's like, whatever it might be having those hard conversations, we avoid those. We like, I feel like dance around those and, and we'll do everything we can to avoid them. hundred percent. I think it, it creates so much. So people, I, and it's, it's wild when you start to get okay with having them, that people get a little, a little funny with you. Like I've had people get a little uncomfortable with me because I'm like, no, I'm just going to tell you that. And I'm not, and I'm always kind with kind words and I frame it in the right way. But being like, when telling somebody, no. When somebody wants you to do something or offers you something and you don't want it, that, that's very offensive to people mm -hmm. um, sometimes. And and to just be able to, just that hard conversation, like, no, no, thank you. What do you mean? No, thank you. No, thank you. No offense. Right. Right. No, you're um, right. I think yeah. uh, it's one of those things. And I, I'm guilty of that. Right. Like I, it took me a long time to learn that no is a complete sentence, you know, and uh, right. I, I, you know, I would get so caught up in on how other people felt about the words that I would say if I refused yes. them. And yeah. that just came down ultimately to me being comfortable in my own skin. Like, this is who I am. And, yeah, you know, or this is where yeah. I shouldn't say this is who I am because I constantly want to be evolving. But this is where I am right, right. now in this particular body. Yep. This is where I am with my development. So the answer is no. Love you anyway, but the answer yeah. is no, right? Kind of a thing. Yeah. 
people, yeah. And so I think that that we just in general avoid hard conversations. And I, I mean, I did for a long time, so I'm not judging it. I'm just, I, I know that that's, that that happens. And I enjoy sitting down at, at tables where people want to have hard conversations and where that doesn't mean that it's going to be a bad thing. Like it might be uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, and that's okay. Um, but I have, I have made myself do scary things intentionally every day. Right. Like something each day I try to do that is, and it doesn't have to be scary, like jump out of an airplane, but something that's uncomfortable. So, okay. I don't like making small talk with people. I don't know. I'm, I don't like it. Like I'm talking about it makes my hands get like sweaty and the back of my neck starts to sweat and I feel yucky. I don't like it, but I do it because I feel like on some level it's making me a better person to do uncomfortable things, right? Yeah. If like stretching and growing and making ourselves like comfortable with the uneasiness of life. That's what I, I talk to people about. My brother and I talk about it often. Like you need to be okay with the, when life gets uneasy, you have to learn to be okay with that mm-hmm. and know that that's where the growth, that's, that's the growth shit happening. Yeah. Like I know, right. When I talk a lot with my students and um, my friends about threshold and I, to me, threshold is I can feel it. I can feel something is changing. I don't know what it is, but there's like that, oh shit moment, like something, something's happening. And I don't know what it is, but I just have to like sit with that uncomfortableness and like ride it out and just know that whatever I'm, wherever that growth is supposed to happen, it's happening and, and just to be okay in it. And it's scary as fuck. And I, (laughs) I hate to do it, but I force myself to. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea of having a hard conversation or doing hard things is, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be thinking. And I feel like, I feel like you're absolutely right with that. And, you know, the more hard conversations we can encourage, the better we're off. We're all going to be, but it requires Mm -hmm. a different way of thinking about conflict. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, Mm -hmm. there's such a thing as healthy conflict or healthy collision. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've been conditioned over the last couple of decades to think that, to risk offending someone is, you know, the end of the world that they can't handle their own emotions. And the, the reality right. is at the end of the day, I'm not responsible for how you feel you are. And so if I say right. something that quote unquote offends you, that's just you taking offense to something I said it has nothing to do with right. what I said. It's your significance that you assigned to the, to the words that I used. Right. But at the end of the day, right. if you cannot risk offending someone, then you can't have those honest conversations. And it, it feels like to me, as an outsider looking in, when I look especially at public institutions or government-run inst- institutions, mm-hmm. that those types of conversations are basically shunned. They're frowned upon, you know, because it, it creates right. a situation where, you know what, someone might get upset and and right. that's not okay. Well, you know what, it is okay. Right. That's how you learn. Exactly. That's how you get stronger. That's how you create yeah. strength within yourself as an individual. And I think like you said, it's... I. I healthy conflict. And I don't, I, I, I think it's old age because I don't argue. I used to be pretty explosive. Like I, I was pretty short tempered and very reactionary. And I was always ready for an argument and like, just always, always on guard. That's, that's a childhood thing. Like just always ready. Let's let's get ready to rumble. I'm always ready. (laughs) Um, and the older I get, so I don't know if it's experience, old age, a lot of really good I don't know if it's like exercising and training six days a week. And I I don't know what it is, but 
I really have no interest in like arguing and getting excited about, I mean, not in a bad way, you know, like conflict, that kind of stuff. Like if you want to argue, I am not your girl. I'm not going to get into a yelling match with you. Like you, if you are taking too much of my energy, I can't deal. Like, I don't, I don't want that. Like, I don't have to convince anyone of anything. Um, I don't discuss politics. I don't discuss religion. I don't, cause I know that people get real heightened with that stuff. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I will have conversations with people where we can disagree and, and maybe, you know, we raise our voice a little bit or like to stress a point, but, um, the way I used to be is just not the way I live anymore. Mm -hmm. I realized again, like, I was like, what the hell are you doing? If that's so much of your energy, like, why would you spend what, what time you have here on this planet? Is that going to be your footprint? You're going to be that girl. You're going to be angry redhead girl yelling at everybody. That's what you want. (laughs) A living stereotype, right? Yeah. Right. I was. And so it's, it's wild now for people who will be like, Oh, redhead, you got a really bad temper. And I'm like, you know, not so much. Right. I've kind of outgrown that. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, I can like, I mean, I can get mad, but I, I really, I think the reactionary part, I try not to, I really like, I'm more thoughtful. I'm more, I think about things more. Um, I think some of that is learning patience in the gym has taught me patience outside the gym. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for sure, I, my, so I feel like my transformation for me, like with my whole, my, my physical and mental, it, like just my whole well being started when I started CrossFit. I might have been on that path, but that's what really like got me going. Well, let's um, let's talk about that because I mean your transformation's been pretty remarkable. I mean, obviously you're doing <laughs> remarkable work not only not only with yourself in terms of your transformation in in terms of fitness, but also from the tools that you had to start life with, right? Like, so you came from this environment yeah. that was a little bit chaotic. Let's just be honest here. Yeah. You know, and you grew you're, up. You're kind. It was a little chaotic. <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> fucked up. Okay. I'll just be honest. Right. No, you, came, you came from a fucked up I'm just environment. <laughs> and, I'm just you know, messing with you. I like it. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. And, you know, at the end of the day, you've, you know, you've um, been in some quality relationships, bore children, you know, took on a very important role, um, not only in your school, but in your town, because everything you do with kids radiates out, right? So, you know, and you've, you've taken on all these roles that no one would have picked you for based on what you said about the ACEs test, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, you know, coming from that environment, you know, as well as I do, fitness or wellness is not really a priority in that scenario. It's about survival, which I think you said earlier. It is about survival, about survival. And, you know, how do you make a kid who's in survival mode care about personal development and, you know, eating properly and thinking properly and moving their body? It's just, it's just not something you think Mm -hmm. about. So, you know, when you, when I saw the photos of your transformation, you know, you lost a ton of weight, you know, you're in the gym, like you said, like six days a week, you know, take us yeah. down this rabbit hole. How did this happen for you? Huh. I know that at one point you were, you know, smoking, doing the whole nine and yeah. now none of that is happening for you. So what was no. the transformation like? What was your path like to get to um, where you are now? So I, for a long time, um, yeah, I was not fit. I, when I was, I smoked heavily, drank coffee, had an eating disorder. Like I didn't, like I was just living like from a health standpoint as wrong as I possibly like and everything wrong I was doing. Um, 
and I got divorced and well, the, the end of my marriage, like the last kind of part of my marriage, I, my mom got, my mom passed away and I kind of was like, wanted to be healthier. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't like a full fledged thing, but I would have this notion every now and again, like I want to get fit. And I didn't even use that word. Like I, I just, I wanted something different. Um, and I would walk, you know, I would like power, I would like walk three or four miles a day and think that that was like, if I did that, then I could keep smoking because it balanced, <laughs> balanced it out. Right. It's just mathematical. Like that's right. what it does. And so, you know, that was the story I told myself. And so my brother found CrossFit about a year before I did. And he was, he was like early on, he started in probably like 2000, I don't know, like 12, like when it first came to Dubuque and he like drank the Kool-Aid and wouldn't shut up about it. And I was like, I don't know what those, I don't know what they're telling you out there, but keep it away from me. I have cigarettes to smoke and coffee to drink. I don't know what you're on. <laughs> and then I know it's crazy. And he kept trying to get me to join, trying to get me to join. My daughter finally was like, I want to try it. And I was like, okay. So I went to an intro class and literally from that day, I was hooked. I wasn't hooked the way I'm hooked now, but I got done and I, I literally, I was defeated and felt horrible and yet felt inspired. I felt all of this shit I had not felt in a really long time. Um, and I was like, I watched they at that, at that gym, they had the people who were doing like the regular classes, do the intro class with you, like take, like do a workout with you. And all I know is I was like, whatever these people have, I want, cause they all looked happy. And I didn't know a lot of happy people. Like I knew like defeated people. I knew people who were all kind of angry about the same shit. Do you know what I mean? Like they always say, like, if you look at the five people you surround yourself with, I can tell you about yourself or I can tell you your future. I was, that, that was kind of me. Right. Just not happy, not healthy people, not inspired people. And these people were different. I was like, fuck, I want that. And so I, I still smoking. I started foundations class like seven in February, it was seven years. And I did February and March. They did, I, I did my classes, started regular classes in April. And I, I quit smoking April 1st and did a paleo challenge <laughs> all in the same month. Wow. It was the worst fucking month of my life. And, and yet it was the most empowering. And what I knew about myself at that time was I was a quitter. I would give up on myself before anyone else could give up on me. I had no follow through. Um, I, in my mind, I was just really weak and I didn't have what it took. Um, I think that often when you grow up in an environment that I grew up in, and I talked before a little bit about like with my mom, like if only she was enough of whatever, then mm -hmm. she would be okay. Right. And I often have conversations with people where there have been many, many times in my life where I felt like I didn't deserve a seat at that table, at a specific table, like that table wasn't for me. And I felt like fitness, like that, that helped, like that, that group of people for a long time that my brother talked about, that wasn't for me. Like I didn't have what it took and people like me didn't get fit. Nobody in that gym smoked. Nobody in that gym knew what I knew and lived the life that I led. Do you know what? I, so I felt like that wasn't for me. Sure. Um, 
go ahead. No, I was just, I was just uh, saying, oh. yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. Um, so yeah, it, it was, the beginning was kind of rough and I went three days a week and I actually was dating a guy who was there in the gym and he was, that was interesting. And I can say since we broke up, I've never dated a person from our gym ever and ever. Um, but so I went three days a week and, and he was very encouraging, um, and all of that kind of stuff to a certain degree, but he didn't like any time I would make progress. It might mean I, I was progressing more than him. Then he was really not kind about it. Um, and so although physically I was feeling better mentally, I wasn't because I was still stuck with that, those people in that mindset, right. like those people who weren't edifying me, people who didn't want to see me be my best me, mm-hmm. um, who didn't want to clap for me the loudest, if that makes sense. And so we, we broke up about year two and that's when I really, I, I focused all of my energy on myself, my kids by that time, but my son moved to Colorado. My daughter had moved, um, out, was going to college and I was alone for the first time in my life uh, ever and felt like I could totally be selfish and threw myself into the gym. And I started going six days a week and, and, and I don't know, I just like, it just kind of spiraled from there. Mm-hmm. You got hooked, drank the Kool-Aid, bought the shoes, the whole nine, huh? I, you know what? I didn't buy the shoes for a long time. So I was like, that shit is fucking expensive. I'm not paying that shit. Um, and then for the longest time I didn't wear shoes. So, um, I I, like worked out with no shoes on for the longest time. Like in the summer, I probably won't wear them either. Yeah. When Um, someone buys the shoes, you know, they're committed. That's, that's the thing. Well, okay. So I do, I do have shoes now and a belt and, and some wrist wraps (laughs) and some stuff, but you got um, the whole kit, the CrossFit kit. I have the kit. Yeah, I do. Um, so what it, what it did give me though. So, you know, I, there came a point where I felt like, um, my coaches were amazing. They, they were amazing from the beginning. Um, Phil is the owner of the gym that I, I still go to and that I now coach at. And from the very beginning, from the first intro, he was like, you know, that little health assessment, tell me about yourself. Like, what do you do? Are you healthy? Like, do you smoke? Do you drink? Whatever. And I said that I smoked and all he said was, okay, you know, I'm not going to give you a lecture. You know, you shouldn't do that. Right. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, cool. And he never mentioned it again, even though he knew I smoked like the first two months I went there and knew that that's, I mean, I, I legitimately could not do a push up. I couldn't do a pull up push ups on my knees were a struggle. Running 200 meters was a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, I cried almost every day I left there because I wanted really bad not to go back because I didn't think I had what it took. Really? But yeah, I did. I was like, I, this is hard. I can't do it. My brother was like, here's how it started, Jason. In my head, I'm like, okay, I will give this a month. It will not work for me. I will be horrible at it, but I will be able to tell my brother I tried and he will get, he'll get off my back. That's a, it'll be a win-win. That's a, that's a fucking terrible mindset, dude. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I just got to say, I'm going to go ahead and pass judgment on that mindset there. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) No, you can be judgy. That is how, okay. I was thinking wrong. I was, I was, I was, I was more sick than I even knew I was sick. Like I knew I was not well, Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize the degree of unwellness. And I don't mean, I mean, aside from, let's set aside the physical effect of smoking for, well, I was 
44 when I started CrossFit. I started smoking when I was probably 18. Mm -hmm. So aside from that, aside from like either starving myself or engaging in like bad behaviors, no level of nutrition, like Mm -hmm. none, literally coffee, like nicotine and caffeine were like, that was my food pyramid, (laughs) my food thing. Uh, It was, it's crazy. Um, which makes for a really good, so when I, again, like with my students, when, when somebody brand new, out of shape, living fucking wrong, walks into CrossFit and says, you know, I really want to try this, but I don't think it's for me. I can unequivocally say, oh no, it is. I stand by, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah, for sure. Because you know what I mean? Cause I'm like, you don't, I'm, I'll believe in you till you can believe in yourself. And that is what my coaches did for me, which was it was instrumental. I felt like for the first time I, I had someone who, who really believed in me and met me where I was and mm-hmm. was like, okay, you can do this. You absolutely can. And I'll wait with you. And I don't care how long it takes. And they, they over celebrated like milestones <laughs> were not really that big and minimized like the things that I really should have got, but didn't get quite yet. You know what I mean? They had that really mm-hmm. good balance. Yeah. Um, and they never let up. They, they were relentless. They did not cut me really any slack. Like I remember workouts where I was like, I was crying in the middle of one. And one of my coaches, I was like, I can't finish this. And he asked me what round I was in of a five round something with running and like, you know, smoking and running. They don't really jive real good. And I was like, I'm in round three. And I thought he was going to say, okay, you can be done. And he's like, cool. You got two more. And I <laughs> all right i hope you got about an hour yeah um right and i'm bawling like crying just because i'm pissed not because i'm like in pain or anything i'm just pissed at myself because a lot of it was like how in the fuck did you get here right. like how did you let yourself at 44 get this far not okay mm-hmm. like how is this even a thing for you and i think for a long time i was fueled by that like anger like pissed at myself and I, and I saw results and they were pretty significant. I mean, they really were. Um, I, I wasn't, you know, a hundred percent. I still like, I still did not have good eating habits, good behaviors, but I wasn't smoking and I was showing up at the gym, you know, six days a week now. And then after like year two, I was coming six days a week mm-hmm. and I, I just, um, I just, uh, I I was, I was hungry. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I want it. And I, at some point I stopped feeling sorry for myself and kind of had that conversation with myself. Like I have to have with my students, like, okay. And now what? Right. Okay. Yeah. You're in really fucking bad shape. And now what, what the fuck are you going to do about it? And I have, like a really bad mouth, like you can already tell, but that's the dialogue that goes through my head when I am in the middle of a shitty workout or if I like anything in life where I have to endure something that I really don't want to have to do. And I want to quit because that would be really easy. I will say to myself, okay, and and fucking now what, now what the fuck are you going to do? Nothing. You're going to keep doing what you need to do. There you go. Because that's what you do. Because you're a survivor. That's what you do. The way that, the way that you phrase that right there is everything. You, you, the way that you phrase that, because that's who you are, that's what you do. Yeah. Every time you face something difficult, you know, whether it's a hard conversation or a hard action, like a yeah. lot or whatever the case may be, when you 
decide you're going to keep going, you're self-signaling who you are. And when you self-signal who you are long enough, you become that person. And that's the thing that people have so much trouble grasping. It's not about doing the wad. It's not about having the right conversation. It's about who you become in the process. And if you can Mm -hmm. keep that in the front of your mind, then you can do anything. Yeah. It, it's a trip when you, like when I, when I stand outside myself and look at the evolution of Tammy, like I look at how I've evolved. It's really big, but in the day to day, when someone's like, Oh my God, that's crazy. I saw those pictures of you and and I can't like you inspired me. And that's like unbelievable. Like when I look at myself on a day to day level, I'm like, I'm just some chick who gets up and goes to the gym like anybody else. And I kind of geek out on helping people. And I really love coaching because it allows me to give like, I, I, it's like, I, I feel like, and this is just so cheesy. I hate saying it out loud, but I feel like it's like, I don't want to say my calling, but like my calling, like it's my passion. It sets my shit on fire. Like I love it. When, when I see somebody who reminds me of myself and that unsure and like scared and doesn't like, just doesn't believe in themselves the way that I know they will one day who comes in saying, I can't, I won't, I don't. And I can change that conversation to, I just haven't yet up until this point, I haven't been able to. Once I do this, I'll be able to and, and have them start having those hard conversations with themselves. Like, yep, you're kind of in a bad spot, but it's okay. Cause now you're taking some steps to do some different things mm-hmm. and it's, it's going to be hard and, and it's going to be okay. And yeah. you can do it because other people have, Absolutely, I have a whole, so it's, it, it inspires me. Like that's what inspires me. Like, really high level athletes. I mean, I'm in awe of the dedication and time that they put into it, but it's the people who walk through the doors who are the scaredest, the most nervous, the most like unsure who, you know, month three, month four, they're like spotlight athlete, you know, like we're, we're doing a thing on them. That's the stuff that like makes me that that's why I do it because I'm like, that's the shit that, that makes life worth living to me. Oh, I get it. Cause man. I know what it's like to be in that place. Yeah. I totally get that. And I mean, yeah, I think it is based on your energy level, your calling. I mean, you lit up and your voice changed and your energy changed and you started talking faster <laughs> and like you know, you totally, you know, you totally became <laughs> the person who loves when people succeed. And, and that's a fantastic thing. And it's I such do. a beautiful trait to have in a coach or a life coach or, you know, someone who's supporting you. So fantastic. And, and kudos on that. It's not cheesy at all. Own it, man. Live it, no, you know, cause you. you're making a, you're making a huge difference. And, um, you know, I've seen your pictures. We'll obviously link those up in the show notes, but tell us, you know, what were your net net results? What was your, your weight loss, your change, so, your, your diet conditioning? What did you, what did you end up with? Sure. So for up until, honestly, up until like six months ago, I didn't really do, I mean, when I came in, I was like very first early on, obviously I told you cigarettes, coffee, blah, blah, blah. Um, I did a paleo challenge. I had a lot of success with that, but it wasn't sustainable. Um, probably first, two to three years, I still, I maybe 50, 50, I, I would not, no, I'm not, that's, that's okay. I can't even lie on myself. It's like 30, 70. I ate like good 30% of the time and shitty 70% of the time, maybe about up until like maybe two years ago, I was like, okay, like I started food journaling with my coach and like, he would talk to me and he, and he you know, he food math and like thinking about food in a different way was so foreign to me. 
it was a hard conversation with myself that I wasn't ready to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I have struggled with eat with an eating disorder, like giving food that much thought and that much precedence and that much like having like that much in my mind control was very, it made me very uneasy. Um, and so I, you know, I would, I started incorporating less processed stuff, less fast food. Um, I'm not really a pop drinker. I love Twizzlers. I like, dude, I can bang a bag of Twizzlers like nobody else. I freaking love them. Um, and chips and pico. Oh my God. Uh, so yeah, I was, just, I just didn't do very well. And then about honestly, six months ago I did. So in my transformation pictures that you saw, the last picture that like, I actually have abs in, um, that that's on, that's from six from September. I started um, following. I have a nutritionist who goes to my gym. I do something called the plate method. I would be happy to pass along their information. It's freaking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It is so easy that I can do it. I don't count macros. I don't weigh or measure my food. I don't count calories. Um, I set my plate up in a certain way. I did cut out all processed foods for the most part. I mean, there's, I, I, I have cheats here and there. Um, I prep one day a week, plan it out. And I, I feel like I came to a point where my coaches always said, you can't out train a shitty diet. And I challenged them <laughs> like, Oh yes, I can. I sure will. Um, watch but, me. you know, and I was, I was, I was right. Watch me. <laughs> and so, you know what? I mean, before the food challenge, I I want to say that at my heaviest, at my heaviest, I probably was 160, mm-hmm. um, and I'm now like 125. Oh wow! The last yeah, the last 20 pounds are from September. And how tall are you? So we have some frame of reference. <laughs> I'm five. I'm five feet tall. Five so feet tall? Are you serious right now? And a hundred and What's that? Are you serious? Five feet tall? Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm short. I'm my very, mom is I'm, I'm my mom is five thing. three. So like anytime someone says less than five three, I'm always oh amazed. yeah, I'm shorter than your mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, you know, and I think that truly my body has changed. Like I when I look back on all the the different years. So every time you know Facebook and and those social media things are great for like a time hop. You know to look at that stuff. Sure. Um. And it. And, and at each junction, I thought I, it was better. You know what I mean? Like it was better, but it, I can tell you that I wish I had known how to eat this way or would have been at a place where I could accept it. And I, I, I think I had to get to where I had to get to be ready. Right. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you gotta be in a place where you're ready and will like where you're willing to accept it. Of course. And I just, I was like, okay, Kimmy, you work so hard in the gym. And I knew, like, listen, I'm not going to lie. I like abs. I wanted abs. And it was a very egotistical thing. It's, it's a vanity thing. Mm-hmm. However, being as light, like being, so I, I lost 11% body fat and gained like almost 4% muscle. And so doing, you know, body weight movements is so much easier now. I didn't realize how, how, much life was weighing me down. Right. Um, I, so my nutrition now, I feel like has just kind of, um, it's, it's, 
it has been the piece that was missing. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like it made me get even more focused on what my goals were. That's what I think that CrossFit has done more, like mo- CrossFit and nutrition and this l- nutrition is recent. It has given me something to feel dedicated to. I feel like I have purpose. Um, I feel like even though I was a survivor, I'm like, oh, I can do anything. Doing things that were hard instead of running. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I was, I, I'd run from shit too. Like I wouldn't just, you know, like I'd be like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Oh, you want to have a hard conversation? Uh-uh, I know how this shit ends. Nope, not doing it. Um, but having to like trust a process that wasn't my own and just show up and do my part and, 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 and really just our gym's thing is like, stay the course and, and truly just staying that course, like having a plan, having goals, being like, okay, I know this is where I am today, but this isn't where I'm going to be forever. So what does tomorrow look like? What does three weeks from now look like? Where do you want to be? And that was really, when you live in survival mode, that shit isn't on your radar. Right. Like, like next year, when they would say, what should, what develop a five-year business plan? What the fuck? Like, I don't know what I'm, I don't know where I'm living tomorrow. Right. What do you mean? Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's given me those skills that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, trusting in people, allowing people to see me. I got real vulnerable in CrossFit, like where I just, it, I got to a point where I was like, fuck it. Here's who I am. This is what I'm bringing to the table. And I just help fix me. Like I'm, like, I'm broken, right, which right. I don't know if that's what my gym had intended. Um, but yeah, it happened. And I feel like once it started, it just like snowballed. Well, you made it happen for sure. You know, you, you took everything it's, on yeah, and it's, it's, you took yourself on, which is, crazy. which is the big piece out of all of that and made something different. You became someone yeah. different, right? And that's the thing. And I did. And, and go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, you're, you're all right. Go ahead. It's your show, man. I'm just here asking silly questions. No, no, it's your show, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, 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 no. <laughs> No, seriously. I mean, I, I was just, you know, um, I was just noticing the similarities in your story and pretty much, you know, every success story you ever hear is, it always comes down to the same thing. You know, someone being willing to pay the price to become someone new. And that was really the end of my thought. And yes. I was just turning it back over to you. Oh yeah. I, I think so. And I think, so I often, it's so here's like the crazy thing. I have more people so I, you know, I life coach out of high school, but I have people often in like adults in the building and like just my friends and people that I know from the gym who, because uh, I think I'm a good listener because I, I'm really like, you could tell me any crazy thing about your life and I'd be like, okay, all right. Like it, it wouldn't say, I mean, it'd have to be some crazy, crazy stuff for it to like really rock my world where I like, I've heard a lot of stuff um, so I can handle hard stuff. Um, and when we talk about like, how do you change your life and how, like, how did you do it, Tammy? Well, yeah, that's easy for you to say, cause you've done it. And I'm like, well, but, but it's easy for me to say seven years out, but it wasn't, but I was where you are. Right. And I had people who believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself, who took a risk on me. You know what I mean? Like they, not only did I show up every day, they showed up for me every day. Absolutely. Um, 
And it's, it's just, it's, it's crazy that if you would have told me seven years ago that this is where I would be, that not only would I still be at this gym working out, but that I would be eating, like, I, I have a nutritionist, like, who coming from where I come from has a nutritionist? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> right, and right. like, who do I think I am? Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, you're just a little too big for your britches. Like, <laughs> like, what do you think you are? Um, yeah, that's interesting stuff, man. Like, you know, it's funny, it's, right? Yeah, I think you hit on this a moment ago when you were telling your story, you talked about how, you know, you said something to the effect of, you know, where I came from and the, the insecurity of my environment, you know, planning or talking about tomorrow was not really on my radar, you know, like no. uh, thinking about a goal, you know, that was, wasn't really on my radar and, and it makes perfect sense. Right. And it's funny right. because you can talk about people in that scenario living like an animal. Oh, these people live like animals. And, and when yeah. you, th when you think about what that means from a, like a sciencey level, it actually makes kind of sense. Right. Because if you're in survival mode, right. You know, you're only focused yep. on the now and what happened to you yesterday so that you can learn from it and not repeat it right. now, but there's no tomorrow. Yeah. But the only difference between like, you know, humans and like, say your dog is, 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 is the, the understanding of tomorrow. Like your dog doesn't understand what tomorrow is and it never right. will. Right. But you as a human yeah. who is cared for and provided for and has some bit of security can start to think about tomorrow. And I think a lot of times people forget that, you know, we can set up our environment, yeah. set up our social circles in such a way that tomorrow matters. And what we do in the moment right. each day is actually supporting the tomorrow that we want to create. And so when you talk about a seven year journey, yeah, I think that's super overwhelming for a lot of people. You know, it's like, no, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to survive today. And you're talking about seven mm -hmm. years. Well, yeah, but yeah. you know, the seven year result was the result of something I did daily. So you start in the now right. and you reap, you reap the results somewhere down the road. And, and just wrapping your mind and around that when you're in that survival mode, it's crazy. It's it's very difficult. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I, I think that for me, the, the physical part was the more easy part, like it was the easier part. Like, yes, it hurt and I was sore. And I think it was like the mindset part. And, mm. and I think that that shift in mindset, that shift in not walking and feeling defeated, um, right. being open to the possibility of something new. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, and like, so I, I, I tell myself like these little cheesy things all the time. Like when I start feeling really anxious and overwhelmed about something, like I will le legitimately say to myself out loud, just be still, be mm -hmm. still. It's okay. Get quiet. Mm -hmm. And I will just be like, you need to go to a quiet room. Like, where's your safe space? Because like, you're getting a little nutty. <laughs> um, but like, I think that when, when you grow up or, 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 you know, maybe you don't, maybe people, it doesn't have to be something as like adverse as like what I lived through. Um, that's all relative because trauma is trauma. Like my trauma looks different from somebody else's, but we all come to the table with some shit. Um, and and being able to like that, okay, and now what? Like, yeah, we all have this shit. And there was a point in CrossFit where, and maybe it was just the perfect storm where I, I just, I was physically, I was at a point where I was feeling some um, like gains in the gym. I was getting some momentum and that my mind shifted and was like, you can do hard stuff. Wow. You can do hard things. Mm -hmm. You can, you can be a totally different person than you, than you were. And people started noticing that. So the interesting the boss that i work for now the principal of our building he was a principal when i worked there the first time and that was probably i i worked there from like i don't know 2008 until 2014 and then i returned in 2017 and 
I went back to interview with him for this for this recent job, and we interviewed, and he kept looking at me really bizarrely when I answered, and I was like, what the F, dude? Why? I didn't say that, but I was thinking that. And so afterwards, he called me, and he said, so we want to offer you the position, and I'm like, okay, and he's like, do you want to know how your interview went? And I was like, I, I, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Do you normally do that with people? And so he had commented about the change in me in such a short, short time. And he was like, it was like interviewing a whole different person. Like I knew you, I knew that what you brought to the table before, like your skill set, mm-hmm. and, he, and he knows my background. So he knew that I had like the capability of doing the job. Right. I had the skills, but he was like, your mindset and the way you are carrying yourself is a, it's, it's like, you are a different person. Like, mm-hmm. I cannot believe this sense of ownership in yourself and okayness. Like you talked, like it wasn't an interview, like a normal interview, like a question and answer. Like I just had a conversation with them about the stuff that I answered. Right. Like I didn't try, I didn't go in there trying to impress them. I was like, look, this is what I know. Here's my deal. This is what I can do for you. This is what I can't do. And I don't know either you want me or you don't. And it wasn't that crass, but it was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And I, so I didn't realize how much my, my, like I had shifted and changed until people who had known me before started commenting on it. Cause I don't think we see ourselves as others see us. No, never, never. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's It's interesting that you had that experience, you know, Yeah. Yeah. because you you know, at the end of the day, when you're doing those, those daily activities, I think this is, I think this is one of the things that people miss like when you're talking about your seven year journey and now you're talking about seeing, uh, interviewing with this guy that you interviewed with before, but he hadn't seen you in a long time, you know, at the end of the day, when you're doing those daily activities and you look at yourself in the mirror or you look at your results, you see only minute, tiny little changes, if anything at all, but it's, it's not that day that matters. It's the sum total of all of the days put together. And that's when you get to look back and say, okay, well, this is how far I came. And when you have someone like that yeah. in your life show up and say, hey, you know what? You showed up very differently. They've had the benefit of yeah. not seeing you all those incremental days, right? So yep. they can they can see the gap yeah. that you necessarily may not be able to see. Yeah. It's crazy. I think so something that and I, I kind of touched on a little bit, like talking about not thinking I deserved a seat at the table. And when you asked me about like, like thinking about like how my nutrition has changed and how my mindset has changed. I think that when I decided to get my nutrition in order, um, I was starting to feel some days kind of like a fraud or like, um, like I wasn't, I was, I was like talking the talk, but not walking the walk because I know what CrossFit says about what I'm supposed to eat, Mm -hmm. but I know that's not what I'm really eating. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, how do I stand in front of, some women who want to lose weight or they want to look better or they want to do this when I know I'm not doing that shit. Like I'm not, I'm not living that life. Like, who are you? You're like, you're selling like this false bill of goods. Like that's not, that's like bait and switch. Like you're not, you you can't be doing that. Um, I, I think that when you grow up in, in certain circumstances or the way you view yourself, when you feel that, um, you're not good enough, but you're put in a position where people like kind of look up to you in a sense. Um, there's a book that my boss actually asked me to read called imposter syndrome mm-hmm. that I, I, I started like doing some looking into and like, apparently people who come from places like me who, who have changes like I've had, 
often feel that like they're kind of being fraudulent. Right. Like I present today as this really well put together person who's like got it all together and she goes to the gym and she's coaching and she's got her nutrient. Like here I am this person, but like if you really knew the real me or the real story behind me, I, I might not look like who I look like. Does that make sense? Like, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, no, that, that was the phrase I was thinking as you were speaking. Uh, imposter syndrome is exactly the word for that. And uh, I think we all yeah. get that and no matter what level of yeah. life we come from, you know? So I'm, I'm, my mindset these days is about um, really trying to walk the walk. And that's hard because, because we can say a lot of shit like, you know, Facebook, Instagram, they're full with all those little memes and quotes and super, you know, inspiring things that we, you know, put out there. And I love a lot of them. I think they're fantastic and they're great reminders. But at the end of the day, if they're just a thing that we throw up on our social media, but aren't really walking the walk, it's just some bullshit. Totally. And I, um, I don't know. I, so for me these days, I want to just be really intentional with my words and my actions. Um, I want to live with some integrity. I want to be a really good coach and I want to be a good role model for my, my kids. Um, cause I don't think I lived a lifestyle that they could look up to. And, and I think that maybe that's why I go a little nutty on like being a little bit of an overachiever with some of my stuff now, because like, I feel like I have to make up for something with them. Sure. Um, but yeah, I get that. It's been a crazy trip. Yeah, I get that, man, for sure. And I mean, the whole integrity thing is something that's sorely lacking in the world. I mean, you, you know, this is one of our values, like Christine and I have a relationship agreement. One of our values is integrity at the gym. You know, one of my values for the staff is integrity. And that comes down to exactly what you said. You know, you live the way you think, you know, the, the yeah. words that you use inside are the same words you use outside. And there's no variance yep. between that, right? There's integrity. You're solid all the way through and people don't realize what that means. So like if you can compare or if you can pair integrity with a desire to create excellence, then you're going to live a good life. And it really doesn't take right. much more than that. Right. So I uh -huh. mean, to, to know that you understand that and to know that you're instilling that in another generation of kids is, is really, really powerful. So kudos and thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. So at this point thank in your, you. yeah, for sure. I mean, and at this point in your life and career, I mean, you've lived a lot of lives, you've lived a lot of experiences, you know, what does success look like for you yourself? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, what does success look like? For me, it's not money. I've never done anything. I'm not like money motivated. I'm not material motivated. Um, I think the older I get, I, I said it a little earlier. Like I think about like what footprint are, am I leaving? Like, what is my legacy? Um, to me, I will consider my life successful if, if I left if I left it a little better than I found it, mm -hmm. um, if I have some really good connected relationships with my family and friends, um, help people transform their lives, help people believe something that they just can't quite believe yet. Mm -hmm. um, my success is, is, is really based on uh, helping create a climate and culture where I coach that people feel accepted, where there's some integrity, where we're intentional with our words and actions. Those, that, that's where I find success these days. Now, if you would have asked me a long time ago, probably wouldn't have looked like that. Right. Um, I, I want good relationships with people. Mm. I want to feel connected. And 
um, I want my kids to be, I will consider myself successful if my kids are proud of the, the mom that I am to them. Right. That's beautiful. I don't know. That's beautiful. Cheesy. That's, that's my deal. That's success. That's so funny that you label it cheesy. I mean, it's, it's, it's really not at all. I mean, it's one of those, you know, things to aspire to that very few people I think even consider and using the word intention the way that you do, you know, really drives home a point. You know, I think that uh, the fact that we do need to use that word and what we want to create tells a big story around the fact that we're not in a lot of cases living with intentionality. And because we don't, we live up with randomized results. And, you know, I feel like if that's another thing that you're instilling in your kids and the kids that you're coaching, then the world is going to be a better place. So I appreciate you telling your story. And I know that they're going to be, you. you know, a myriad of people over the years who listen to this podcast and pull value from your story because you're not alone. I've experienced a lot of the things you've experienced, not to the same extent. And I know people in my life who have as well. I've interviewed other people on the show who have as well. And so I know that that the the story you shared will continue to resonate, you know, as people download this and listen and share with their friends. So my last question to you would simply be this, you know, or actually before I ask my last question, let me ask you this. How can these people who hear your story reach out to you and get in touch with you and maybe ask you some questions or get some advice if they need to hear from you? Um, Yeah, for sure. They can find me on either Facebook um, Tammy Saunders, or they can find me on Instagram at coach Tam Tam. Um, or they can, uh, reach out to me at CrossFit Dubuque. I answer the emails for our admin. Um, or they can ask you actually, you know how to get in touch with me. Sounds like a plan. Fantastic. So, yeah. So my last question is always the same and that's simply this, you know, what does wellness mean to you? What does wellness mean? What does wellness mean to you? Oh, wow. Um, that's a really good question. I, to me, wellness is like a, it encompasses a lot of things. It's a combination of my mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. When all of that is in harmony, when I feel at peace inside me, when I have enough sleep and I eat properly and I exercise, um, and I do the self-care thing so that my um, mental health is in check. That's wellness to me. Mm, that's beautiful. Well said. Thank you for that. And thank you for being on oh, today. You're welcome. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. I know that um, I know that anyone who listens is going to be able to pull a lot of information, a lot of nuggets from it. So thank you for that. So guys, for those of you guys who picked up the podcast and are listening, be sure and reach out to Tammy if you have any questions around her story or would like to learn more about how you can employ some of the tools that she's employed to impact your life. Do so. She's a super awesome lady, very easy to talk to. I know you guys picked up on that. So reach out to her and we will see you guys in the next episode. Take care. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing, and by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com, or pick me up on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.